Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. I'm sitting at Mnuchin Galleries with Robert Mnuchin and Sukanya Rajaratnam, uh, who, along with Peter Stevens of the David Smith Estate, are putting on an extraordinary show at Freeze Masters of David Smith's forgings. And I want to start by simply asking, Robert, why now? First, I would answer that uh, as a gallery, we were at Freeze Masters for the first time last year. Having seen it in its opening year, I've been very impressed by it. I wanted very much to become a part of, uh, of joining it and actually campaigning to, to get a place in a good position at Freeze Masters. We think it has a unique quality as an art fair. It's somewhere in between an art fair and a true exhibition space. And both the presentation, the structure, and everything about it is a huge quality. That having been said, we asked ourselves what would be consistent with what we think is the terrific quality of the, of the, of the event of, of the place. And we didn't know if we could do it, but we're very excited about this body of work. Both of us have known it, admired it, studied it, and uh, honestly, we said, what the heck? We'll take a chance. We'll call Peter Stevens. We have no idea if he'd be interested or not, but we sure as heck know that we would love to turn our space over to creating an exhibition. And Peter, what made you interested in participating? I was, all, I was very excited to work with, with Mnuchin Gallery and, and with Robert and getting to know Sukanya. It's been absolutely exceeded my, my expectations in terms of the quality of the, the history that we all know, the history of the exhibition that the gallery's undertaken. And having the freedom of a gallery that works broadly with modern masters without direct representation of contemporary artists uh, uh, or, uh, or, or estates, but yet having had the experience of working closely with artists and estates, it seemed like a perfect fit for us. Also because Smith's work has uh, a great deal of complexity in it. Almost every admirer of Smith's work has their own very personal view of what, that, what his achievement was and I feel that this body of work is absolutely central to what his achievement was. So the ability to put that together in this context and in a major international fair where we would reach an international audience. Sukanya, this body of work is important because it's a connection between the sculpture and painting, between sculpture and abstract expressionism. What's the pivot that makes this worth focusing on? Yes, I think that the gallery, the core of the gallery, if you will, is abstract expressionism. This is something Robert has done for 20 plus years. And um, David Smith, I feel, is the preeminent abstract expressionist sculptor. He came out of this generation. When I look at the forgings, when I look at a lot of Smith's work, I see that fusion that Pollock created between drawing and painting. And especially as we look at forging five and six, it's drawing, painting, sculpture, all coming into play. If you look at the surfaces of that, 
that's just painting, even though they're not. And to me, being able to do this exhibition at Munition Gallery really connects to our past. It connects to the wonderful good paintings show that Robert did. When was that? In 97? It connects to the um, Barnett Newman and Rothko show that he did, again, well before my time, but nonetheless. And um, that is why I feel the connection is so strong. It's in our blood, it's in his blood, and it really relates to what we're doing here. The passion hopefully comes out. Robert, can you talk a little bit about the David Smith market? There have been a few significant sales in the last few years, but nothing that really reaches the same level as his art historical and museum presence. Well, I think the David Smith market is broadening with or without us. I think with a little bit of luck, we come along at a, at a good moment, because I think there's a natural impetus for it to broaden. And part of that broadening, as is true with all artists, comes because the lack of accessibility to what people thought was what they absolutely needed to have. And if you looked at cube eyes, you could put them with pilot grip paintings, you could put them with the Kooning women, you could put them with a beautiful orange and yellow Rothko. In terms of desirability, demand, what people want, they would kill for such works. They're not available. So gradually their eyes are open and said, hey, now that I can't do that, let me really look at what's going on and what happened around those bodies of work. And increasingly, they're becoming aware of these and accepting them and becoming interested in them. Peter, can you talk a little bit about um, Smith's connection to surrealism? Uh, he comes out of surrealism and is uh, one of the bridges between surrealism and abstract expressionism. And there has been a lot of popularity, uh, in the market at least, for surrealist works. Well, I, I think that it, it's, it's, it's a very complicated question where, when it comes to Smith, and I think he's almost unique, not unique, but almost unique uh, in the history of art, certainly modern art, in terms of the breadth and range of his aesthetic interests throughout the course of his career. So the fact that the diversity of his work uh, even can allow that perception that you have, which is absolutely valid, but, but the full picture has not been embraced or understood by what, for, let's call, the market. Because I would say that David Smith is highly, highly valued uh, historically in terms of museum representation. These forgings have been shown in many countries, in, in England, Spain, Japan, Israel. So this kind of understanding of, of uh, this body of work uh, is is uh, generally pretty broad, but in terms of the market, there's a segment that doesn't understand that David Smith, although he was a second-generation modernist, that he clearly came after Picasso, after the innovations of surrealism, that he made his first welded surrealist sculptures in 1933. It was really kind of right at the, the, the beginning of the expansion of modernism. By the time he was making the Agricolas in 1950, he was already considered one of the great sculptors of his generation. So then you go throughout the 50s and you reach 1955, the time when the forgings were made, 
he was really at that moment at the cusp of moving into another whole generation and form of art, which led to process art, minimalism, and uh, the use of fabricators, for example. These forgings were made with an industrial fabricator, something that now people would associate with Donald Judd or Richard Serra, but it was that 1955 moment when Smith made this switch that, in his case, led to the Cubis and these larger, more industrial works. But uh, the success or lack of success in terms of financial markets uh, is a difficult uh, issue for an artist like Smith because the diversity of work doesn't lend itself towards a market that values metrics of comparables because there is almost no comparable for any particular work mm -hmm. that would come on the market for Smith. And I think it's important to add, relating to what Peter says, that each of these works is unique. There are no additions. So going back to the point of metrics, you're not going to see another one of these forgings at auction. So Peter, can we talk a little bit about the supply issue, for lack of a better term? Uh, a lot of work is in museums, uh, and I also get the sense that uh, Smith's output wasn't as great as some other um, artists of his stature. I would say that that his his overall production was not uh, not not particularly limited. But as Sukanya said, these works are unique. So whereas an artist uh, uh, traditionally sculptors who may have had decent-sized bodies of work, then you multiply it by six or eight, you all of a sudden have this amazing resource to build awareness, confidence, interest, and a market. Uh, in, in Smith's case, he was uh, showing extensively in museums or at, from as early as 19, well, the 40s, but certainly by 1950. He died at the age of 59 in, in an automobile accident. He was really at the height of this kind of geometric growth of his international reputation and market. And when he died, his sculptures were selling for 30000 and above, which in 1965 was a lot of money. These pieces were, many, many of his major works were immediately bought by museums throughout the United States. It's why you can now go to almost any museum in, in the United States and see major examples of his work. That led to, to uh, the fact that, that uh, the work continued to grow in America because of the access to museums here. It created a very strong collector base in America throughout the 70s and then the increase of the art market throughout the 80s. And those private collectors were not investor collectors. So they held on to those collections and many of them donated their works at some point to museums. So the kind of activity of the marketplace has fallen somewhat on, on our shoulders as the estate to release works and to try to, to use our collection in a way that can build the understanding and awareness of his work. And I think that's a shift that we're making now. We're understanding the importance of the market, something that really did not weigh into our consideration 20, 30 years ago, because our, our whole concern was history. And that shift in the way that art is now viewed and seen, which I don't see as a negative, I see it as a shift in a cultural value, and that we are now adapting to it. And I think, to again, to, to really 
make people aware that major works are available, it sounds like a funny thing. Why would you have to do that? But we do have to do it. And where do these works come from? Are they the estate's works or works being sold by collectors through the estate? Uh, one of these works is uh, in the collection of the estate, from the estate. It was never sold. Uh, it, it was in David Smith's collection. The other three are private, from private collections that have made them available through the estate with connections to the estate and to the family, David Smith's family, his two daughters. And uh, so the, these pieces have been brought together for exhibition and for sale so that they can, can be kind of used, as I've described, in this way to really make a major placement of important works uh, into the marketplace. And a frieze with Mnuchin Gallery seems to us to be perfectly bring together all of the, the issues that I talked about. Robert, are there still works out there that can be acquired directly from collectors? Well, there will, I would imagine, if history follows its course, there will be over time. And from our slightly selfish point of view, one of the reasons for the advantages to doing something from an artist with such a fantastic reputation, you might even say that the reputation at the moment has exceeded the prices, but that is changing and will change. But we would hope that when people think about selling works in the future, they'll say, well, remember, Mnuchin did that wonderful exhibition, and we're comfortable there. It's, it's, it's got a lot of ingredients that make us comfortable working with them, and they'll come to us and discuss it with us. We hope. I think that this is the first step in that process. I have to say that the response has been overwhelming. I was discussing this with Peter as he walked in, and I don't know why he had never installed an art fair booth prior to an art fair before. This has been a wonderful opportunity for people to see these works prior to going to London, or if they're not going to London, to see them in New York. And I think we're all going to be pleasantly surprised, and this is the first step forward in terms of the market. So who's the ideal collector for this uh, sort of work? Is it someone who's been buying a lot of sculpture? Is it someone who's interested uh, in contemporary art, but moving backwards, looking for something fairly unique? Or is it someone with an interest in abstract expressionism? I think the most obvious kind of collector is an abstract expressionist collector, or a collector who's focused on that period and who sees the prices of those paintings which are not even in the millions, they're in the tens of millions. And they look at something like this, they understand its historical importance, and it becomes almost a no-brainer. Of course, we may get the occasional contemporary collector who looks at this and says, you know, in terms of its elegance and abstract qualities, you know, it would almost go with anything. And... Um, it's funny how many contemporary artists have looked back in time and are working in ways that are resonant with this, speaking of fabrications, speaking of extremely pared down. I don't want to use the word minimal because this is proto-minimal, but you know, that sort of sensibility. And I think that we may actually see newer collectors come into the fold. That remains to be seen. But thus far, there's been an overwhelming response from um, 
what I would call classic collecting. And, and I would I would sort of say my my dream it would be that that the that that sort of all of the above of what your question that the, these works will speak to this very broad audience. But the in addition to what Sukanya was talking about as the abstract expressionist collector and the possibility of a contemporary collector being excited by the contemporary quality of Smith's work, which I hear every time his work is shown, people are, are just amazed. We have an exhibition up now, I say we, David Smith has an exhibition <laughs> at the Clark uh, in, in Williamstown, a beautiful exhibition focusing on his Circle series uh, from 1962. And overwhelmingly, I've heard from contemporary artists that they just can't believe this work. Now, I find that interesting that they're shocked and they can't believe it because three of the five circle sculptors are permanently on view at the National Gallery in Washington, so it just shows how much art there is out there for people to absorb and to take in. But uh, And how the, how the context matters. I mean, and context it, does matter, a lot. And But that's my, my dream because I came to this through a love of art and art history, which is now a little bit archaic. But my dream is that the collector who has, understands deeply the importance and love of modern art that starts with Picasso and, and, and goes through with Brancusi and Giacometti, and that understands the importance of uh, more recent sculpture like the minimalists and Richard Serra, would see these sculptures and think, how on earth can I not have this piece to tell this story? Because these sculptures, as I said, go back to that moment of 1955. Smith bridges that. He, Pollock didn't live to do that. Pollock was hugely influential. He died at that moment. He died in 1956. He didn't get to turn that corner. David Smith lived those like that other decade from 55 to 65, and he did turn that corner, and he had that influence. So I would like those collectors who want to tell that story, who have great collections that haven't maybe found the right Smith or thought they only, as Robert said, need to have a cubi that looks like the one at MoMA, will understand that this tells an important part of art history and David Smith's history. One of the things that's so wonderful about this career is his breadth, not only in terms of the number of years, but the variation and the changes and the development and the growth. I mean, there are so many David Smiths just as there are so many Picassos, just as there are so many de Kooning's, and I'm hard-pressed to think of many artists whose names you can say that about that have four, five, six, take you to pick, really distinct periods where their minds start to work and their hands start to work and the creation is entirely different than what happened before. I mean, de Kooning's is an example. Uh, there, was a, there was a moment in time when everybody had to have a tacooning from the woman series, or maybe from the pictures that came in the late 40s. And all of a sudden, there's so much interest. If people have opened their eyes, and the 70s pictures are sought after, the 80s pictures, you'll see at auction. I'm making a prediction for you. You're going to see it at auction pictures where the enthusiasm of the public for those pictures is going to surprise you. It couldn't have happened. By the way, the pictures haven't changed. Mm -hmm. Nothing has changed, except people have opened their eyes and thought about it. And that's what is happening here. And you, you just can't under, in my opinion, you, you can't under, understate that added kicker, if you will, 
that everyone is one of a kind. Everyone. Yeah. Not some of them, not most of them. Or maybe mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, maybe there's some exception. But for all intents and purposes, everyone is, is one of a kind. That's very special. Peter, can you tell me a little bit more about the collector base? Uh, as the estate and, and um, as the um, soon-to-be-publisher of the new catalog raisonné of David Smith's sculpture, we are, are bound to confidentiality of, of ownership, but it is, is well known and, and public that one of the great collectors of David Smith is the Brayman Collection. A wonderful, wonderful uh, collect collectors, Norman and Irma Brayman, built, I think, one of the outstanding collections of, of modern art. And David Smith was one of the kind of germs that I think, and I shouldn't really speak for them, but I, when I met them at the time, it seemed to me the enthusiasm that they were building for the importance of modern art was to some degree fueled by their, their understanding of this quality that Robert was talking about, this diversity of Smith's work. So they acquired a broad range of his work over a long period of time, from the 30s to the 60s, painting, drawing, sculpture, uh, that, that they really built, I think, one of the really outstanding uh, private collections. Um, many uh, private collectors, unfortunately, of Smith's work do value their, uh, their privacy. And so, so um, I, I might... I'm not sure that another wonderful collector of Smith's work uh, early on was uh, David Mervish from uh, Toronto. Peter, what was Smith's relationship with other artists from that period, the, you know, the great abstract expressionists? Um, what was his relationship with Kooning? Because I keep thinking of Bolton Landing. Can't get that out of my head. This is a great landscape, Bolton Landing, and of course... Smith was Bolton Landing. <laughs> well, it's, an, it's an important part of Smith's story that, um, you know, it's well known that, that de Kooning and Pollock and a lot of that circle went out to the Hamptons and, and related to nature and somewhat of the isolation there to do their work. But Smith was a little more extreme. He went to the Adirondacks to like a town uh, near Lake George, Bolton Landing, and he moved there permanently in 1940. Uh, so he had this double life, this kind of complete isolation to create his own world, really like after Giverny, probably one of the most important sites that an artist evolved as a kind of growing uh, work in and of itself, the fields around his home and studio. Uh, it was a long distance away, and Smith took the time, and it was very important to him to come to New York very regularly and see his friends, see the artist who he was friendly with, see exhibitions. Uh, hang out at the bars, be a part of the scene, but then he would go back and work. De Kooning was one of those artists that he was close with, and he was also one of the few, along with Jackson Pollock, that made this incredibly long trip up to Bolton Landing. This was before the throughway was built. Uh, driving on Route 9 all the way from New York to, to Lake George <laughs> was not easy. And uh, so de Kooning did go up to visit him and did produce this painting uh, in, in his major... Uh, uh, series of, of landscape-inspired uh, 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 works titled Bolt Landing, which is uh, uh, also in the brain. You know, I must tell you, I'm listening to us. I am so excited and so proud that we are doing this. You, you sort of forced us to articulate things that we've been thinking a little under the surface. 
And here we've been saying them out loud to you and to ourselves. It's so exciting for me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Intelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 